my name is Mary Grace, and this is the Home Body Podcast. And here we're exploring the home as a body and body as a home. I host spiritually and artfully minded conversations on embodiment, on approaching life as practice, artistic collaboration, and experiment. We'll talk about healing, art, aesthetics, magic, the practices we can bring to hone our intuition and live our life fully awake with our power intact. My hope is to encourage and enliven you and to also cultivate awareness and freedom. We're here to develop wisdom and self-trust and to be dynamic agents of beauty. We're here to design and be more intentional with the creation of our life. And we are here to make room for inquiry, sensitivity, and joy. Thank you for listening. everyone and welcome to this special episode of the podcast. I'm your host Mary Grace and we are wrapping up our first year, first season of the Homebody podcast and to sort of celebrate this week and help turn a chapter, um, this week and next we are serving you some compilation episodes, some highlights from the most li- listened to episodes from the past year, sort of like a digest or an anthology, if you will. And we've had so many amazing guests. It has been such an honor to be in conversation with each and every one of these guests. It's been an honor and a privilege to also put together the work that I've presented as solo episodes. All of it has been a huge growth for me, and it feels like it's the podcast is starting to really know who it is and what it is and finding a new rhythm. But there's been so many brilliant voices, different kinds of work that I've been able to be in conversation with. And I really hope that you enjoy these clips and also use them to catch up on any conversations that you missed. I will have links to each of the individual episodes that were segmenting from, um, they're listed below in the show notes to make it really easy to go back and listen to either refresh your memory or catch up for the first time. A couple of quick announcements. First of all, it's September. Wow. Um, if you would like to support the podcast and um, you can head over to patreon.com slash MG Allardyce and become a patron of the podcast and support the show for as little as $5 a month. And in exchange, you'll get some perks and including new videos that I release every month. I just released the ones for September um, this past week that to kind of break down the month's astrological transits and sort of give you a sense of the weather coming at you so that you can can plan your life, know what's, uh, get a heads up on what's going on and perhaps um, bring more awareness and consciousness to how you're moving about your month and live more in alignment with what's going on in the, in the stars and the sky. Also, as a way to sort of celebrate this culmination of the first year of the podcast, I'm doing a giveaway. Um, so if you can head over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever platform you're listening to this on and leave us a five-star rate and review. If you screenshot your review, send it to the email address listed below, hi at mgallardice.com. I'll collect the screenshots until September 22nd, which is the fall equinox, and I'll choose a random winner who will get a free 30-minute session with me. So leave us a five-star rate and review that and also become a patron on Patreon. Just brings does so much to support the show and ensure that we can stick around for a long time to come. So I hope you'll take part in that and I hope that you get to win a session. 
And then last but not least, on Monday, September 21st, I'm hosting another kind of remote group healing session um, on that evening, just before the fall equinox. We had a really amazing time um, last month doing this, and it really inspired me to keep going and just host one a month for right now. And the feedback I got was really powerful. Um, and it was powerful for me as well as both the facilitator and the administrator. Um, one of our testimonials actually uh, that someone sent me who was part of the event and registered but chose not to join the live Zoom call, which is totally fine. You still receive the transmission, receive the energy, even if you're not live on the call. And I just wanted to share, I have permission to share it. I'm sharing it anonymously with what they wrote to me. I wanted to share with you some miraculous healing that happened on the night of August 19th within the same time frame as your remote Reiki session. I have a number of autoimmune conditions and past trauma that has made it nearly impossible for me to produce tears for over 30 years. I've worked on reaccessing these parts of myself and healing deeper emotions, but the stuck trauma energy feels as though it impacts my ability to make tears. On the night of August 19th, which also happens to be my birthday, I laid in bed reading and then felt a sudden surge of emotions that led to tears coming from both of my eyes, and I couldn't believe it, as this has never happened before. I went outside and praised thanks to the universe, but it wasn't until this morning that I remembered it was also the night of your remote Reiki healing session. I really want to thank you for all of your valuable contributions to the world. You have such a special energy, and I'm really glad that we crossed paths online. I thought that was really beautiful, and I was so moved to receive that, and thank you for taking the time to send it in. I'm not promising results for everyone, but I'm using it as an example to share that we had um, a really meaningful and powerful time together. So I hope you'll join us for this next one coming up on September 21st. I keep the guest list limited on purpose, and you will also get to choose what you pay for the offering. Um, so you can find out more at the link below or by going to my website, mgallardice.com slash calendar. Also for this episode, I want to take a shout out to Monique Wimby. Thank you so much for helping me curate this episode and kind of find the, the timestamps and the clips that were needed and sort through the content and conversations. And so thank you for contributing your voice to these, um, this episode in that way. I really appreciate it. So let's get into it. And this first clip is from episode four, which I did with my friend Blake Beckham. Blake is an experimental dance artist and an educator, and she's also a teacher and studying to become a Faldenkrais practitioner. There's so much goodness in this episode as we dive into the pleasure necessary for learning in our bodies and ways that we approach creative practice, surviving failure, and of course, love, which we get into in this clip. powerful and so profound and really I feel like uh, the world could probably throw anything at me and the grounding and um, support and love and strength that I get from this relationship will make it okay <laughs> you know I yeah. mean I do I really yeah. feel that I totally. feel like um, I have this, all of the other bullshit, it's like... So small. It's so small because I have this um, tremendous love. Um, 
and it it feels timeless. It feels like un, it feels unbound by time and space. Like I truly believe in every universe, in every possible universe. Like Melina and I have found each other in this enduring way. Like it just feels yeah. so true and so big. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wish that kind of love for everybody because it is absolutely transformative. Um, I think Melina and I respect each other a lot. Mm-hmm. I admire her so much and um, having a, a relationship that's rooted in mutual respect mm-hmm. is really important and foundational and that it's easy to be kind to someone that you adore and respect. Yeah. You know, like I know there's a lot, there's a lot around like relationships or work. I get, I get that. (laughs) But that is a concept. Yeah. Again, this idea of ease, like actually for me, our love is so easy. And, um, it's, it's not that I, it's not that I don't, um, do the work in terms of like putting effort into the relationship. It's just that putting the effort is pleasurable. Yeah. Like it has a quality of ease around it because I enjoy it so much. Yeah. Um, And it's not framed in this way that me putting effort into the relationship is doing pain to myself. Yeah. 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 Uh, one of the things that Melina is so good at that I have learned from like sort of how she loves me. And I, I try to reciprocate, um, is anticipating someone else's needs. Mm. Melina is so good at that. It's unbelievable. Mm. And she actually does it in all dimensions of her life. So, you know, even with like a coworker or something like being able to anticipate, that person has a lot on their plate today. And so I'm going to get there 15 minutes early and make the coffee before the meeting or whatever. It's a stupid example, but no, it's it's those little things. She cares for people in the world that way. And she's really amazing at um, caring for our little little family unit Mm -hmm. by anticipating our anticipating my needs personally, but also like anticipating our household needs and life needs. And that's something that I've learned from her um, to to pay attention in that way. And it also feels good. It yes. feels good when you can let somebody know, um, like, I was thinking about you. Mm-hmm. I was expecting you to show up in this moment in this way. And so... And I anticipated your desires. And yeah. Your, yeah. Yeah. Asia Suler is an herbalist, a writer, a teacher, and the founder behind One Willow Apothecary. In episode eight, one of the many things that we explored in this episode is owning our shadows and how everything, including our shadows, can exist as a symptom of healing for the body to really let us know of imbalances and things that are ready to come through and be mended. Here is Asia sharing a bit about this idea. I love that. It reminds me of um, something I talk about a lot when I talk about flower essences is this concept of the loyal soldier, which comes from Bill Potkin's work who wrote um, 
nature and the human soul and soul craft. Uh, but he, he talks about it. So in World War II, there were these Japanese soldiers that were stranded on an island and they were rescued like 10 years later, they found them. And when they were rescued, they were like, oh, the war is still on. Like we're ready to hop in the war. And that war, the idea of there being a war that they could be a part of was what kept them alive. And what the Japanese did that was really amazing was instead of, you know, sort of being like this war is like something we aren't, we don't feel good about that we were really wounded by. So we're just going to like shuttle you home quietly. They actually celebrated them and, you know, created this big parade for them. And um, Bill Pockin talks about how these early, early childhood belief systems that we develop um, are our loyal soldiers. Like these belief systems um, that are are actually like negating parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. uh, that create our shadows. They were, you know, set in place to protect ourselves, um, namely by being accepted, which is, you know, how humans survive is by being accepted in community. And, and that, you know, sort of like you're talking with, you sort of talking about you transform the idea of them being these demons, they're loyal soldiers for us. Like they served a purpose and a very powerful one at one point in our psychological and spiritual development. And, you know, once you get to be an adult, the idea is that you can start to decommission them and welcome them home with big parades, you know, like feed them scrumptious meals and, you know, know that they can then like, once they take their armor off, transform into something else within your psyche. And I think that that is so powerful and so true. Yeah. And like, there's no, it's comes with this understanding that there's no part of us that is supposed, that is made to be abandoned basically. Um, which is a huge thing. I had, uh, I was talking with a reader healer yesterday and she brought up this thing about digestion, which is like an ongoing thing for most people, but for me specifically right now. And she's like, you know, do all the things that you're doing, like probiotics and all that. She's like, you know, but really what's got that going on is that when you were little, life, you just learned a lesson early on that life wasn't as sweet as you thought it was going to be. And it clogged you. And I was like, Ooh, that hits home. She's like, you need to get that. She's basically like make a map of that, write it out, burn it, whatever you got to do. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. There's the hidden thing. It was just really deep and really impactful. And it's just such a beautiful, I think the future of healing and holisticism in general will be, it has to be as we get more into like quantum physics and just understanding the world of energy as a whole, like a mixture of energetic with natural healing. Um, I just really, I can't see it going any other way. Absolutely. You know, it reminds me of like when you have a revelation about something, it's like from that moment on your, your life is different. You know, even Mm -hmm. if the the physical changes don't happen right away, it's like from that moment on, you start living differently. You start seeing things differently. Your whole reality starts to change because of Mm -hmm. that one revelation. And so I'm like, wow, the more healing we can do on that level of consciousness, the more our literal reality changes. And so it's like, yeah, I'm all about it. Like the more we can do that deep work and pair it with, you know, these more physical based medicines that also like help our, you know, body systems to heal as our, you know, consciousness is like, I'm totally reorganizing now, you know, how I'm using my energy or what, you know, what I'm feeding into the field, then the more we do heal on a whole level. Mm -hmm. It's true. I was uh, scrolling through your Instagram today just to make sure I was like staying in tune with what was kind of current in your thought process. So if you get a lot of like insane likes from my profile today, that's why I was stalking you a little bit. Um, but one of the things that you said that I really wanted to kind of pull out and have you hash out a little bit was that everything is a symptom of healing. And I, 
I loved the way that you paired those with that specific language. Would you mind diving into that a little bit and what you mean by that? Yeah. So this is something that really helped me (laughs) when I was dealing with a a chronic pain condition called vulvodynia, which is Mm -hmm. basically chronic pain of the vulva and pelvic floor. And then also when I contracted Lyme disease, you know, so often we can sort of, um, settle into this worldview that most of us have been handed, which is kind of this us versus them worldview, this worldview, like good versus bad. And the reality is that on a wider level, on the level of our spirits, absolutely everything is a symptom of healing. Another way of saying this is like everything's happening for you Mm -hmm. instead of things are happening to you. And so even on a physical level, like if we just strip it down to the physical, right? Like for example, you know, I, when, I had Lyme disease, right? Like I had a lot of sort of like foggy cognitive thinking and my joints ached. Um, And both of those things were my body's way of telling me there is, you know, something inside of your sphere right now that just does not work for you, which is this bacteria called a spirochete. And so literally these, these things that our body manifests, like it's not a way of punishing us. It's a way of alerting us Mm -hmm. to what's going on. It's asking us to, you know, take these steps for healing. So, you know, in this way of thinking, it's like everything that arises is indicative of this impulse to move back towards healing and balance. Yeah. And I see this in a, in a, in a more, in a wider way, like in the cultural sphere, you know, these, things that we see happen, especially like if you're tuning into the news and you're watching kind of the circus that is our government, um, you know, it it can be really easy to be like, everything is messed up. Everything's getting worse, but I try to reframe it, um, as this, in this concept of everything's a symptom of healing. So, you know, even the, the people that get into positions of power that are clearly narcissists, um, and, you know, have a lot of unresolved shadow stuff, if we're going <laughs> to talk about shadow stuff. In episode 10 with Michael J. Morris, it feels like we talked about absolutely everything that I care about in one episode, and they shared such a wide spectrum of wisdom and study and insight. Michael is a witch, an astrologer, artist, writer, facilitator, yoga teacher, and also a visiting professor at Denison University. Here, Michael talks about relationship healing as a relationship and as a practice, also healing as a community activity, that it doesn't just happen with other humans, but also in relationship to the living world around us and all that it entails. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were talking a little bit when we were talking about the episode, how, you know, how, how queerness, how magic, how art, how all these things have kind of, I mean, they converge because they converge within you and within your practice. Um, And you've talked about how your idea of healing has shifted, your idea of what spirituality is has shifted because you mentioned that you were just like kind of averse to the word spirituality for a really long time. Yeah. Do you mind talking about how those, because also those are changing shape as you're moving in towards these new practices and identities that feel more like you. I guess I can start with healing. How has healing changed the most for me? Um, where I am now is informed a lot by um, Dory Midnight, who I mentioned earlier, but also um, Anna Halperin. Anna Halperin in her work is really clear and insistent 
um, about distinguishing healing from a cure, um, that healing is a process. It is nonlinear. It moves around again and again um, with not necessarily having an end point, which we think of as the cure, the moment where it's done, it's complete. Um, when you're that, healed. And when you're healed. Yeah. What if being healed was actually about being in an ongoing form of relationship? What if it's not an end point, but a practice? Um, and that's something that I really learned from Anna Halpern's work. And then Dory Midnight also brings a disability justice lens to her work. And she said for years, she went exploring three different versions of what healing might mean. Um, and that one of them was the idea of wholeness. And then she realized how um, ableist the idea of wholeness is. Mm -hmm. The idea that there is some version of whole that we could all be. And so that word, that definition didn't work anymore. And I think also coming from like a queer feminist post-structuralist lens, the idea kind of suspicious of wholeness anyway. So there's like <laughs> healing doesn't have to be wholeness anymore. Great. Um, <laughs> then she, she, she says that she worked with the idea of aliveness, that healing was returning to aliveness until she was in healing practices with people who were dying that they were not going to come back to aliveness. Um, and so then she came to the version that I think she's working with now. It's the one that I'm working with, which is that healing is the process and the practice of being in connection. And so what is healing? And this is actually related to where I've come with the ideas about spirituality is recognizing our connection um, being in practices of connection, whether that's with other people, like in the consulting practice, like in this call, um, like in the dance studio, or if it's more subtle, like I think about how, when I read astrology in the morning, when I look at the charts for the day, I am in relationship. I'm in connection to the sky, to the planets, to these constellations, but I'm also in connection and in relationship to this whole lineage of astrologers and scholars and librarians and people who kept this tradition alive, my teachers and their teachers and their teachers, that each time I sit with that practice, I'm not doing it alone. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, when I read tarot, I'm reading with artists and I'm reading with activists and revolutionaries who created the decks that I work with. I'm, I am working with mystics and seers and sages and witches, and they're all in the lineage of what I'm doing, which means I'm not doing it alone. Sometimes the, the healing takes the form of sitting. Actually, this is pretty frequent in my life right now, sitting with rocks um, mm -hmm. and recognizing that this is not just a tool. This is not just a commodity fetish or object that this is an, a deep and a, has the potential to be a deep and abiding ongoing relationship of kin. So what, what does it mean to make time each day to sit and practice relationship with the stone, with the plants that I live with, with my human loved ones and human kin. And that's really integral to, I, I was trying to pull up the definition of spirituality from Brene Brown that, as you said, like I had an aversion to that word after I left Christianity for a long time. And then actually being an academic spiritual is kind of an, um, 
anathema. Like you don't, that's not a word that comes into <laughs> Right. Unless you're in religious studies, that's a little woo. So I left that out for a long time. And then Brene Brown working from grounded theory research defines spirituality as recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us. And that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. And when I heard that for the first time, I thought, yep, that's a, that's a version of spirituality that feels totally in alignment with my life, with my practices, with the kind of world that I want to live in. Um, and, and is perhaps the container for everything that I just described as healing. What would it mean to recognize that we are already in countless connections, life-affirming relations of care, what would it be to live in our lives, to live through this world with that being our ongoing consciousness? In episode 13 with Andrea Glick, we talked about how to depathologize our stories and what kink can teach us about consent and pleasure and sex and why pleasure is essential how to access the resources that we have now um, to, to get more of our embodiment experienced. Andrea Glick is a queer somatic trauma therapist who uses body-based and queer kink, trans, poly-affirming techniques to work with clients towards inhabiting their lives and experiencing pleasure. I loved this conversation with Andrea, and here is a brief clip and insight into episode 13. I have worked many years as like um, teaching people Pilates and like kind of a very like therapeutic style when I do one-on-ones and like yoga Mm -hmm. and just like it was really eye-opening to me how people move how they are in a really big way. Um, Like you can just tell a lot about somebody's experience of reality by how they're moving or not moving and people like trying to get them to engage certain muscles and like I have my hand I'm literally touching the muscle that I want them to engage and they can't feel it oh Um, god you know touching anything like subtle like it would be like you're the back of your leg like this general large area it was a really big oh yeah like how to talk about proprioception how to get people to even like sense that something is even there inside of them. Oh my God. (laughs) Seem like you have similar experiences. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, that is really why the somatic stuff is so just so powerful. And like, I, I will get really in my head about it. I'm like, Oh, okay. The somatic session, it needs to have this like really big, uh, significant finding. Like we're going to like come to this place together where there's like this huge, like unveiling in the body of something. And then what happens when I go go there is I'm like, Oh, but this person has never felt their right hip bone before. Right. That's huge. Like, you know, when we shoot for this like big transformation, we can miss all the little stuff that's actually really, really significant. Um, and there's just, there's endless possibilities for being inside of ourselves that don't have to be the most impressive pretzeled yoga pose or the most powerful somatic healing session that leaves you like totally 
you know, just like learning this brand new thing about yourself, like just being inside of yourself in this world that just forces us to be so dissociated and so disconnected is so, so powerful. Yeah, I think that's really wise. And so it makes it so accessible because we tend to, I think, and we put, we have ourselves on a spectrum and like, you know, if we're not experiencing the 10 out of it, then like our experience doesn't count. Right. Um, like if we're not in the pretzel, if we're not having like the mind blowing orgasm, yeah. it was a waste yeah, of time yeah, yeah. or, exactly. you know, and it's just like, not like it's all on this like spectrum. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Yes. Or even just like, I love when sessions just end up being really playful, like just getting to play and how mm. healing play is. And that like pleasure and play are so intertwined. And there's all of this research about the way that children's brain development is so linked to play and that our happiness throughout our whole lives as kids and as adults is linked to how much play we get to have. Um, And so it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. Like I will have sessions where we do all this, like we end up just following what our bodies are kind of asking us to do and end up in these weird shapes or places in the room and it's like just laughter like it's just fun to just inhabit yourself and I think that that's the other thing is that oh somatic work is going to be this like unearthing of trauma or unearthing of like these old patterns that don't serve you and it's like or maybe it's just fun like for me I do have a movement practice that's really important to me and it's just fun and if it's ever not fun I don't do it because then I don't feel like it's I'm not really inside of myself or I'm not really uh, connecting with my body if I'm not also having a good time. I adore that as a policy. Um, and do you like blinking like the play and the pleasure? Do you think this is just a very speculative question, uh, like play being important because it's not as attached to an outcome oh, necessarily, yeah. like it's more divergent than convergent. That's really interesting. Totally. I hadn't even thought of that, but yes, it's true. There's like this ease and curiosity that comes with play. Whereas like, this prescriptive, like, we're going to do this really hard internal work and then have this like revelation is like very uncurious. It's very like rigid and judgmental and, uh, doesn't leave a lot of room for other things, but no, it's so true. It's like, it's just getting to be when you're, when you're coming at things with curiosity, you're just getting to exist in this very mindful way instead of like, um, okay, is this when the, is this when I start to feel healing? Or like, is this when the thing shifts? It's just like, let's just see what happens. Like, I don't know. Is this what I'm yeah, supposed to be doing? Yeah. I love saying clients. Like, I have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> like, let's just, yeah. Perfect. And then obviously there's the like predictability for survivors of like, and I can promise you that like, if this starts to not feel good, we'll stop. Right. But like, I don't, we're going to go where this, where your body wants this to go. And that's the place that we'll end up. Next, we have Lindsay Mack, who graced us with her presence back in episode 19. Lindsay is an intuitive tarot teacher and the host of Tarot for the Wild Soul podcast. In this clip, Lindsay talks about how to integrate more of your natural intuition. And she also shares how intuitive intuitive expansion is very possible, even if you've struggled with PTSD. And she talks about her experience with that and some of the ways that she has healed from this herself. 
She talks about how our brains use fear in an attempt to protect us, even while our souls, which are designed for evolution, really lead us to and through this inevitable discomfort that evolution brings. A couple weeks ago, like, isn't cool. Let me apologize. I'm like, whoa, look at her just doing that. (laughs) Well, thank you. I feel like it's the least I can do. Yeah, I think it sets a lovely example um, for just being still in yourself and not uh, losing any of your authority or sacrificing your own inner authority and also like being able to just Mm -hmm. kind of be humble and be like, you know what? This was not cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So there's that. Um, I think that, did you find that, like, I don't know that like PTSD is often linked with like someone who connects to their intuition in a really strong way. I imagine that there must've been a lot of like bridge work there. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it had to do with embodiment, maybe not. But do you mind talking about this kind of your introduction and your integration with your own intuition? Yeah. So what I want to say is that it is possible, and I'm in no way implying that you were not saying this, but I just, I know from the work I do, the questions I get that the more I can say this out loud so in any place where people can hear it, I'm going to say it. Um, people who have PTSD, it is completely possible to check in, tune in, hear, perceive your intuition beautifully. Um, what it is, and again, I want to bow to Michelle Sine, who taught me this. What it really is, is that when you have PTSD, your hypervigilance, yep. your protection is so extreme and so high that Every time we step into soul, there is a negotiation that happens where the brain um, tantrums. It freaks out because it senses that like we're always in this divine dance. There's always kind of these two radio stations. I refer to it as going on at once. There's always the brain radio station and the soul and the brain is very loud and it has to be because it's really the primal protector. This is a wild, you know, um, (laughs) like generalization, simplification, but I think it works for our purposes. And the intuition is a whisper. It's very soft and it's, um, they're two very different voices because the soul is really, really interested in evolutionary discomfort. It understands the flow of life, death, life. It understands that this is what we're doing here. This is why we came. We did not necessarily sign up for comfort or ease. We're all mastering something. Um, that doesn't mean we have to be cool with it, but it does mean that what, what we are personally experiencing in whatever lifetime we are is part of the evolution that we're, that we're, we happen to be moving through in this moment. Um, The brain wants to do really every, it's very spiralic and the brain is very linear. So when we understand that anytime we choose even a little bit to step into the spiral, the brain will attempt because it loves us so much to pull us back into the straight line and it will literally use chemical warfare to do it. It's got really good weapons, like great, you know, it will pull us into old thoughts old whatever. Um, But when you understand that that actually means you're doing everything right, 
It doesn't make it easy, but it does help to develop a new rhythm. But when you have PTSD, and of course I'm not a therapist, but when you have it, there's just more. There are a couple of more channels. There's like your little self. There might be a couple of other selves that need time with you. Um, I have many different brain selves. I have like the brain and then I have this really, really, really hypervigilant, intense protector who is a little different. She's the one that like kept me alive in my mom's house. Um, And she and I, we now have a little bit of a better relationship, but like, whoa. And so I kind of feel like I have a little bit like two brains, even though I recognize them as being one thing. There's more notes on the piano if we have PTSD. That's the best way I can put it. And it's not a problem. It actually creates, I think, more depth. It creates more specificity. It creates a little bit more sensitivity and inclusivity when we're talking about intuition because it really is like, um, mm, there's a, it's like you dip into intuition. The brain has something to say about it. You kind of pull back and then you go forward again. It's really not about, the bypassing of the thoughts or the emotions or the trauma. It's about going through them. Like they have to know what we're doing. Um, and I, I do that every day, every day, every day, something comes up in my day. Sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes the day is very easy where I have to stop, excuse myself. And this is a part of my job. So it's a fine thing. It's great. Um, but where I talk to everybody, I'm like, okay, first I'm going to start with like a little lens. I've got you. You're safe. It's okay. And then I might talk to my body. Then I might talk to my brain. And then I might speak aloud to my guides and just confirm what I heard or what I'm sensing. Or if the brain's really being a, a jerk and is really pulling me into some big lies. Michelle also taught me this, like just speaking it aloud and being like, you're a lying asshole. And like, no, <laughs> you know, or thank you. I can tell you're scared. I love you. We're safe. And I'm going to show you how safe we are. It's okay. I don't know if that helped or answered your question. I feel like it's the best answer I have, but there's just, there's a lot of richness to intuitive um, expansion when you have PTSD, but it does, we have more, we have a little bit more more notes (laughs) we just do you know there's more harmony I would guess we could say in this clip we have Dr. Tiffany Johnson from episode 15 Tiffany is an assistant professor of organizational behavior at Georgia Tech and she also teaches yoga and meditation Tiffany is the founder of a nonprofit called the Institute for Good Work And here she shares about the practice of ahimsa or nonviolence and how her yoga and meditation practice continue to inform her other work as a professor and how it also reminds her to practice the nonviolence with herself. Like if there were like one to two things where you're like, I'm really trying to reframe this, these particular things around what work means to me or how I show up at work or who am I in relationship to work? Do any stand Mm -hmm. out? Yeah, there's so many. <laughs> they are. Um, so 
if I could tie it back to, um, cause you know, every, so at, every month on the Good Works Instagram site, like I reflect on one of the yamas and the yamas. And the, every month I'm like, this is blowing my mind. And so I think if, if, if I could tie it back to that, um, that might be the best way. So one of them, I would go, go back to Ahimsa, nonviolence, I think, cause that's the foundational. But I think that um, that really is important like that's a that's a really important way that I'm I probably will always be trying to reframe the way I work around that because it's really common, right, for folks in academia and I'm sure in other settings too, to um be perfectionist, workaholic, type A. And you can I could be that way in any realm, including wellness. And so I could start to say, Well, I need to fix, 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 and I can do all these things and do it in a way where I'm still causing harm to myself. Right. And so I think a hymns for me to continuously to come back to being gentle with myself around everything, around all all the processes um, that I am exploring around my work is probably one of the biggest ones that I keep on coming back to. It's like, yes, that's important for you to do. Yes, that's important for you to like for you to reframe your work in that way. And you know, be gentle with yourself around it. Like it makes me think of a principle, one of the tenets of yin that kind of hooked me was the tenet of like coming into a shape and leaving that shape with um, as much mindfulness and as gently as possible. So not like just yanking yourself out and like throwing yourself in. And I think about that when it comes to, as I'm trying to like relate to my work differently, to not like yank myself out of something and like throw myself into a practice as well to be really, really gentle with the process, no matter what it is in terms of how I'm reframing my work. And the second one, so right now I am having to revisit, like not filling up my calendar, like back to back to back to back to back. Yeah, I can relate to that. Do you relate oh, yeah. to I'm like every minute of every day, I've got it mapped out. If it's not written down, it's in my mind. I know exactly what I'm doing every second of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, there's a, there's a quote in the chapter around Socha and, and the Yamas and the Yamas where she talks about, can you unplan can you, or can you like leave yourself alone? And like, for me, like right now, that is what I keep. It's like, can you just leave yourself alone? Like, why do you keep on like, and like spaciousness, right? Can you, can I give myself some space in order to, to let, to let, because I'm not really like, we, I like to think that I'm in control of so many things, but in reality, can I give space for like a divine interaction, right? For something else to come up versus me trying to control all the things. So, spaciousness. Next, we have a clip from a solo episode that I did, episode 29, um, towards the beginning of the lockdown here in the United States uh, this year in 2020. Reflecting on this moment as we were feeling the beginnings of the coronavirus, COVID-19 here in the U.S., um, and seeing it as a difficult one and also seeing it at, with a lot of potential for the pains that could birth a new way of being, new adaptations. When we're left with compost, which is what I talk about here, um, we really have a profound opportunity for alchemy with compost being the literal life after death and a way that we can grow into new ways of being. 
I did a lot of thinking about composting lately, and I, I think I posted about it on Instagram sometime this week, maybe yesterday. Um, but I had been feeling kind of down last week before a lot of the quarantining was happening and being at home, just feeling kind of defeated over just how much defeated is the wrong word, feeling weary over just how much composting that my life has been doing. Uh, some people, I just, I'm a very springtime, fall is my favorite season, but I'm a very springtime person. I love, I just always new ideas, always coming up with things, wanting to implement them, wanting to do them, wanting to make things. And not everyone is that way. And that's great because if everyone were like me, it'd be ridiculous. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I was just talking it out with a friend and it just kind of really helped me kind of articulate like the kind of weariness around like how much composting I had been going through and how much I had. And it was the sense that it just of working really hard and then kind of looking down at your hands and like looking, realizing that like you, all you have is compost, you know, you, there wasn't any other resources that came out of it. No stores for the winter and wanting to kind of rest for winter, but you couldn't because you need resources to rest. And now it's spring and things want to blossom in spring, but there's like a, if you haven't rested in the winter, there's like a tiredness there. And it was like, yes, that's exactly that just felt so true after it was articulated, like, that's how I feel. And I've just been, I kept thinking about it and wanting to reframe the value of compost, whether it's in your life or actual organic matter that you have, it's not waste, it's compost. And those are very different things. The earth does not create waste. We are the only things on the planet that create and perpetuate trash which is insane if you think about it. So how can we reframe? If you're looking down at your hands, at your life, or things that are not going well right now, or things that feel scary, things that feel kind of dissolved, um, what is the compost of that? And it's not trash. How can we reframe its value? We need to learn how to do that physically, emotionally, literally, and also spiritually. Like how can we celebrate compost? It's magic. Yeah, compost propels what is next. Compost is literally life after death. It is how life continues. And compost is like the eternal optimism, like nothing goes in the trash. So how can we do that more on purpose and like engage with that purpose and celebrate it and place a value on it because it is it does high value. And so during this astrological new year with likely more time to reflect, where can we look at ourselves, our relationships, our work, our life, and see like what was working, what didn't work, and the things that didn't work, like how can we transmute those things instead of just throwing them away? Yeah, compost asks us to transmute, to transform, which is a very organic process as opposed to just casting something aside. It's an alchemical process. It's a magic process. We're in a huge pause right now, which I'm sure you've noticed, yeah? And I believe that that could be the compost for a really big shift if we let it be that. I really think that the worst thing that we could do right now is just sitting around wishing things would go back to normal or going back to business as usual. Normal isn't working. Business as usual isn't working. That's why this is happening. Things should be different after this. But in order for that to happen, we have to be different after this.
This week actually marks a one-year anniversary since I closed my brick-and-mortar business. It was a very difficult experience, of course, but also one that I learned so much from during all the processes of it, the creation, the birthing, the maintenance, also the dissolution. And I learned a lot about business itself, about myself, about people. And I also really fine-tuned my understanding about how important it is to be within our own alignment and to understand our connection with spirit when we're working and when we're taking risks. The segment is from episode 34, where I share more about that experience in detail and why it is super important that not only are you in alignment with your purpose, but also how you are working with your purpose. Those things have to be aligned. It's not just what you, it's not just what you do, it's how you do it that are really important. Um, and if your heart, again, we talked about that like deeper contract that your heart has with the universe. If that contract is there, which for some people it's not, which is fine. Um, but if that contract is there, your heart will start to rebel and pull away from that energy. Um, with maybe before you even know that that's happening or notice that that's happening. And again, if you're interested more in that idea, I'll post some things that I've written about that below. Um, And I would challenge you to, you know, as far as knowing your energy, thickening your energy and being able to risk it, like commit to being radically honest. Um, I've talked about this in the freedom workshop that um, I have in the abundance workshop, but you really have to strengthen your inner muscles to have a secret free diet. And again, as I reiterate over and over, that doesn't mean that everyone has to know everything. Brene Brown says that is a no, and I agree. But it does mean that what you do say is honest and it is not meant to hide. So, um, yeah, I just think that that's something that I walked away from this really challenging situation with a lot more commitment to and a lot more understanding around. Um, Yeah, and like change is really hard for people. And so just because, you know, you deeply know something needs to shift doesn't mean that everyone else is super prepared for that. And most people are really uncomfortable with risk in general and with change in general. So, um, you know, don't expect um, people to necessarily be on board with or understand everything that goes into what you're having to do. You know, when we were closing down, I was getting emails from people like, my friend's a realtor. Why don't you try to snag this building over here? Or, um, you know, you can just move all this into my garage and keep going. And I just knew in my heart, like, I, A, I didn't have time to like do that at that time. And I, my heart was like, everything in me was like, we just got to get out of here. And so being an entrepreneur isn't for everyone. And I want to iterate that and reiterate that. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be successful or to be happy or to be someone that you consider independent. You know, it's not for everyone. And I, again, I think aligning with your own energy is super important. Um, I, you know, I could say more about how to and how to ask, not ask for a raise. Um, maybe that's another episode, um, how to not to talk to someone who pays you. Um, And I still love business and I love businesses. I love how they work. I love the systems that run them. I love optimizing them. I love helping people who run them, um, run them better and see, you know, where some holes are and where they can function best. I basically feel like I got, um, while I already had a lot of business sense, um, I definitely feel like I have like three MBAs now. (laughs) So I really, I still love business and I still love entrepreneurs and I still love all of that. Um, but it has to be set up in a way that your energy can function. 
So, and your heart will rebel against something that isn't right for you. And if it's whispering and you don't listen, it will start to yell. And when it's ready to yell, you better get ready. So there's that. Again, in episode two, I talk a lot about how our energy kind of tells us what we need and how it's going to function. And so in any endeavor that you do, pay attention to that. Not just what you're doing, is that aligned, but how you're doing it. And that's equally important. And I just want to say that I'm not saying any of this to scare anyone. I just wanted to share from a vulnerable place that this experience gave me loads of wisdom and it grew a lot of fearlessness in me. Um, And I learned on a much deeper level about forgiveness. Um, So I hope this imparts something that can be gleaned from your own life. If in nothing else, it gives you the courage to fail or to be seen as a failure and how that's okay. And it's not the end of the world, um, even though it's not fun, but there's a lot of meat and a lot of value to be um, understood there. In episode 27, my guest was Janet Raftis. And Janet is an energy healer who works primarily with the divine feminine. We talked a good deal about personal healing in this episode and how the practice of boundaries is so crucial, both personally and professionally. And here we talk about the difference between being strong and authentically balanced, as well as using your boundaries to align and elevate your own energy. I feel like boundaries are a big part of what that happens because it for me anyways, in my life, like poor boundaries were closely linked to um, either not being sure about who I was or not being, being, not being confident in who I was. And so a sense for me, like when you find your, whatever your inner alignment is, it starts to give you an edge, um, which means Mm -hmm. that suddenly like the answer no becomes possible or the fact that I have like a limitation with other, another person becomes possible. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any ways that you, that are really helpful for you in like working with boundaries? What are your values around boundaries? What do they even mean to you and for you? Yeah. Oh my God. That could be like a whole (laughs) podcast in and of itself. It could be probably a series of podcasts. (laughs) So yeah, I have a lot to say on boundaries. Um, so I was somebody who did not have very many boundaries when I started this, this journey. Um, I was a highly sensitive empath who had experienced loads of trauma. So I had like the perfect cocktail for complete lack of boundaries, you know, and um, definitely was terrified of the word no, mostly because, I mean, I think even before I was raped, I was pretty scared of the word no. It didn't feel safe for me. But especially after I was raped, I felt like there was a big part of me that was like, if I say no and the person doesn't listen to me, then it's devastating, right? So for me, again, healing work, stepping into my power. I mean, that was a big part. Like if we could, you know, I don't want to go too much into the chakra system because I'm um, not all of your listeners may be aware of it, but in certain energy centers in our body, which are the chakras, you know, the different chakras resonate to different aspects of ourselves. And the solar plexus is our, is our, our energetic center for power and it's authentic power. And when it's out of balance in one way, you get like narcissism, sociopathy, yeah. when oppression, and when it's out of balance in the other direction, it's like disempowerment, subjugation, right? And I was way on the disempowered, subjugated side of that equation. So for me, bringing, you know, working a lot and doing a lot of healing around that energy center 
was key because if you don't have a strong solar plexus, and when I say strong, I'm, I really mean authentically balanced, right? Because you could look at the oppressor and that oppressor, oppressor has a strong but congested and out of balance energy center there, right? So authentically strong authentically empower solar plexus will allow you to speak up for yourself along with your throat chakra. So those things will allow you when you heal those centers, you will find yourself more able to speak up. And for me, it was definitely part of my boundary issues were being able to say yes or no, right? When I meant yes or no, not saying, you know, my thing was like not was saying yes or nothing when it was a no. Um, usually, um, or no, I take that back because I often said yes, even though I didn't want to. And, um, so just because I was an empathic people pleaser, we had experienced trauma. And so I, I, you know, that was one whole part of the issue. Another part of the issue was I was afraid to speak up around like that, like time boundaries, financial boundaries, like things like that. Um, so the time boundaries might be like before I got busy in my business, you know, I might have a client and then not have another client for another hour or two or at all after that. And I would, you know, if my session was an hour and 20 minutes, I would, and that person was talking, I would let that person keep talking and just, you know, and I would run over and because I, I didn't, wasn't able to say like, Hey, our time is up. So I wasn't valuing, I wasn't placing value on my time. And that was a boundary issue on my, on my side of the street. And so that was a whole nother thing um, that I did. Also, you know, financial boundaries, which come down to worth too, and being able to charge what I'm worth and, and, and what the value of a session with me is. Um, that was another one. Um, being discerning with my time and my energy, like, that wasn't, I mean, there was, there are still layers of boundaries that I'm working through. I mean, I have been able to get a handle on most of them, you know, and there were a lot of things that I did that helped me along the way. Like I learned to speak up and to say like, okay, we have a few minutes left in our session. Is there anything else we need to cover before you leave? Like I learned to say that, you know, five minutes from the end of the session so that, that it would be set. I also put, I started using a scheduling app. Right. So now everybody schedules through my website and they get a, an, a confirmation email that says your appointment for an hour and 20 minutes is scheduled for blah, 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 blah. Um, I separated phone lines, right? Because I think one thing about being a business owner in the day and age of the internet is that there are a lot of ways for people to get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, between texting and Facebook messaging and Instagram messaging and all of that, like I was feeling really overwhelmed for a while. And so I, you know, I, 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 the phone that I had at the time became strictly a business phone and I manage how I, I go on to messenger and Instagram messaging. I, um, I only do it at certain times. I, um, don't have those. Um, I don't get notifications on my phone. Like so, there's things that I do to help manage my boundaries because ultimately it's my energy, right? And I need to. So if I am staying after appointments with people or you know doing one on one with somebody through Messenger, then I'm not able to take care of my energy in a way that allows me to show up fully for myself, my family, and my clients who have paid for a certain amount of time. So. For me, it's been a lot of healing work and a lot of tuning in and a lot of 
pushing myself and using my voice and saying like, this doesn't work for me. Is this hard? And it's been hard. I mean, some of these conversations were really hard and I lost a few, you know, I lost a a few clients over it. Um, I lost a few friendships over it. Now I think I'm for the most part, pretty graceful with it, but that wasn't, it, it was hard at first. It was a rocky ship at first, but you have to do it. You know, totally. And it's kind of ungraceful in the beginning, but also, you know, when we kind of, when you were talking about your relationships earlier, it's like, you know, when we enter into certain contracts or agreements with people, when we're operating from a certain place and then when we're ready to shift, like if they're not ready to shift, then it's just gonna, it's, they were being attracted to and needing us at this kind of lower, less boundaried place, less worthy place. Absolutely. Right. So they can take, they can, they can join in the lesson and growth with you or not. Yes. It was a huge lesson for me. Um, also coming from a place who's like, that's deeply people pleasing and sensitive and just working on that. And, um, for like 10 years, but the, (laughs) (laughs) for a while and like learning that like the people who don't respect your boundaries are probably people who don't respect their own or honor their own boundaries. And I noticed that in myself. Like if I would feel hurt when someone said, no, I can't show up for this, or I'm sorry, I need to reschedule. Like I'm having a really challenging day. It was like, Mm -hmm. I resented that, but I noticed that I resented it because I wouldn't do that for myself. And it gave me a lot of information. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that, and that's a really, that's a great way to look at it because that is ultimately what it is. It's like, when we are not doing something for ourselves, we will end up resenting it in others. And that's really, um, that's really where we need to look at our own healing because it's not up to somebody else to honor boundaries or expectations that we have, but don't tell them. Sabia Wade, also known as the Black Doula, is a radical doula, an educator, a dominatrix, and also a somatic experience practitioner. We had a really fun and dynamic conversation talking about embodiment, sex, and reorienting ourselves towards getting what we need. Um, In this excerpt from episode 28, Sabia talks about the importance of both witnessing and also being seen as a source of joy, both in birth work, sex work, and also life in general it's just not in our system you know and, and i think when we do think about it especially if you are identifying as a woman in particular like it's all about how your body looks yeah how does it look do you like the way that it looks now complain about it oh you got to go to the gym or you got to whatever and not just like how does it feel <laughs> like right what's going on with it where is this pain coming from and does the pain or whatever discomfort shift when i do certain things you know, like it's, it's just a whole new way of looking at yourself and other people. Totally. And practice BDSM personally. Um, but we've mm-hmm. had a couple of conversations on the podcast about it. But what you're saying makes me think of, again, putting you back in authority with your body. Um, mm-hmm. Like, so I can even know what is going on. And that, of course, will affect how we relate in authority to other people or with other people, knowing where we are in space, in relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. Like BDSM is so SE based, like it's so much (laughs) somatic experience that's going on and whatever connection that people have. And it's on both roles, right? Like it's, uh, it's in the role of 
someone being a submissive or being a dom, like whatever it is, it's, it's creating space for both individuals or whoever is involved to be present. Yeah. Right. And it's also giving people the control to get a feeling that they want to get, you know, like, like, yes, whether it's, you know, like I said, whether you're topping or bottoming, it's a way to heal trauma by sensation, by consent, by play, by exploration. Um, And it's just such a, and it should always be a place of safety when done correctly. (laughs) Like, cause of course (laughs) you're going to have someone who messes up, but when done, correctly it should always be a place of safety yeah we had a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago his name is andrea also somatic experience practitioner does a lot with bdsm as well and we had um but yeah basically talking about like healing trauma through consent and it's also and just giving yourself like some radical permission to just be who you are and want what you want Mm -hmm. and giving you scenarios in which like that is not only possible but like celebrated Yes, that's the big thing. Because sometimes, you know, you got things in your brain where you're like, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to like that, you know? <laughs> right. or, or are people going to think I'm crazy for liking this thing? Or, you know, like, do I have any space to actually make that happen with anyone? And then when you do, and you're like, oh, this is celebrated. Like, it's a great feeling. Like when I was with, you know, my sub that cross dresses, I was like, oh, he's so happy. Like, like, and for me, like holding that space for him to have those feelings and to feel accepted and to feel pretty, like he just wanted to feel pretty, you know? And I was like, everyone should feel pretty. And he was like, yeah, he was like, I think, you know, as a male, I don't get the opportunity to just feel pretty. And like, just having that moment, like it just really puts me in a high, like, you know, the next day I'm like walking on sunshine because yeah. I, I was able to just hold that space and do those things that don't seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal to that person. And it's a bigger deal to me that they trust me to just hold that space for them. Yeah. I've been doing some teaching on attention and purpose lately. And one of our kind of distilling down like how these come together, but one of our like primary, I think, purposes and like self-fulfillments and other fulfillments is just like to witness each other and see Mm -hmm. each other. And like, that's essentially what you're doing is like facilitating, providing space and doing like profound intentional witnessing. Yes. I'm here for witnessing. That's such a great way to put it. (laughs) Like it's such a great way. And it's so funny because, um, last week, so I have, um, a mentor, um, that mentors me when it comes to like being a dom and um, their name on Instagram is, well, their name is Black Sen, but their Instagram is um, at Kinky Black Educator. Mm-hmm. And we were having this whole conversation and, you know, we're just like vibing, talking about, you know, choppy, dummy stuff. And I remember just like getting off the phone with them and I was just like, oh, I just feel so seen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I just feel so seen just as a person as like, you know, liking what I like, not liking what I don't like, no judgment, no nothing, just a celebration of me being me. And it's just a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think that's freedom. Like, yeah, totally. It was complete freedom. And I was just like, oh, 
Like, I'm just like, you know, like after you're like seen, it's just like, you're just like, ugh. It's like having an orgasm. It's like, oh, it is. Yeah, totally. Like, it was the best thing ever. So yeah, I agree with you. In episode 36, I had the pleasure of being in conversation with Alkistis Demek. I absolutely adore this woman. Her work and all of the creativity and meaning that she threads into life and her world. She is a dancer and a choreographer, and she runs an occult publishing company with her partner called Scarlet Imprint. And we talked about so much in this conversation, including her concept of the occulted body, daimonic space, and also embracing an erotic eschatology, which we get into in this clip. Here, Alkistis shares about working with the goddess Babylon and its inspiration for so much of her work, and also as an ontological foundation for just embracing all that's been suppressed in the feminine and how it can be an archetype for really embracing the totality of the capacity that we're here, that we're here for, and all the things that we're able to really do in this life and feel into this life because the liver was the divinatory organ it was the organ when a sacrifice was made that you would uh, of an animal not a human um i think um you would read the the liver because it was like a mirror it was smooth and glossy and um if it's healthy so you would um read this for for reading a fortune or for divining something important it was like the most important form of divination in the ancient world so i found like it's the horror's connection with the liver and with divination and i see that connection also with the connective tissues um it's part of this seeing clearly so a lot of the movements i do like just um warm ups and and, and like cooling down movements and rehabilitation or whatever like the shaking movements and the spinal waves and things is actually a way to polish this mirror and to see more clearly um into that other world to experience more uh, a more luminous body um and it does it does it does really really light up the more one one works like this i've definitely uh, i mean i've always been hyper sort of kinesthetically aware let's say and i'm sort of very empathic and sensitive and things but the more i've deliberately worked with these movements and with these sort of energetic um practices have found a huge amount of space opening up in the body and being able to like a, a landscape like worlds and finding sometimes the light is on them and they they, they light up and i can sort of navigate and work through particular parts of my body, like within. And other times it will be another space or I can move. Uh, it's like almost um, having whole ecologies within yourself and, and uh, weather and meteorological movement within and finding these kind of uh, experiencing these movements within you and the way that some things grow and come to life and then they fade again and it's really, it's really fascinating. So for me, the horror is another way to think about this mystery of the body that is able to, it's always latently there, but it's able to produce and 
out of seemingly nothing, just uh, new, new feelings, new, new vistas, new, new visions. Um, yeah, it's quite a visionary thing for me as well. Yeah, the emergent quality, like always something mm. is being made. Um, yeah. Yeah. You've talked about your practice connecting to this, and I think you've touched on it briefly earlier, to like an erotic eschatology, mm-hmm. in a sense. Do you mind telling okay. us a little bit more about that and what that looks like for you and your practices? Um, I'm, I'm very aware that we're here for a limited time, that it's a kind of, it's a sort of the theological underpinning of everything I do is based on this erotic eschatology, which for me is connected to a figure from the Book of Revelation by John the Divine, um, which is the final book of the Bible and has had a huge influence on all of the, the Western tradition since and in, this impact on the rest of the world through it, um, through imperialism. It's a, a figure in there, the whore, uh, the harlot of Babylon, who became the, the sort of archetype for, um, how can I say, like a, a sort of a modern goddess. So she's become a figure within Thelema and actually outside Thelema now, because I'm not, I'm not a Thelemite and I don't relate to her within within that kind of a um, structure of thought or or their theology. But she's very important to me because she represents everything that has been suppressed in women and everybody and men as well, by extension. Because if something is suppressed in one sex, it's going to be suppressed across everything. And those qualities, those feminine qualities are also going to be uh, suppressed um, in everybody and in life. So, and it's not even that she just represents the like quote unquote bad things, but she really represents for me the totality of what we are. Um, there's the uh, another thing which is also very important for my my personal practice, um, both magical and also artistic, which is she's called the mother of abominations as well as of harlots, and the abominations are. Um, both the offspring of the the um, how is it the, the the meeting of the fallen angels with the daughters of men, but they're also the idols that are worshipped by the the bad people. So within within this figure of the harlot of Babylon, there are so many ideas tied up of things which are very important to me. Um, first of all, this like the full erotic potential that we have as humans and especially like the female erotic, which is a really wow and unlimited. And also idolatry, the idea that we make things with our hands and we can, we can give life to statues and, and work with these energies in forms. So um, my body is very, important to me as to work with is like the sort of primary focus for this work but we also have um a, a sculpture of the the harlot babylon that 
becomes a sort of a, a repository for all of the work we do with her and offerings and so on. So it becomes a focus. And I think one needs these um, foci in order to, 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 to harness the energy and to hold it as a repository of these energies and petitions, this interaction continual with the other world. So the idea of the fallen angels and the the uh, mixing of the species between the human and the angelic is very interesting. And she represents all these things, this, uh, these encounters that transgress, that go beyond the limits, where the human is no longer simply human, but be- becoming angelic. And where the angel is not something that is um, uh, far away from us, but actually within us and around us and in communication with us. Um, so for me, this communication, it is sexual, it is, it is magical, it is spoken, it is speech, it's in the breath, because when one, when one speaks incantations, one is, one is harnessing this, you know, um, promiscuous breath and, and sending it out to the spirits, to the, to the angelic realm, to the daimonic, um, so the eschatology that I spoke about, this erotic eschatology is for me a way to move beyond the limiting, um, quite male eschatology that we've been like given through Christianity, which is very harmful to us because it says there's an end time, everything ends. It's like the... Um, it's like the male orgasm. After that, you have like a period where after the orgasm, you can't have sex again. Women can infinitely repeat potentially to have an orgasm. They can, and the, the intensity of the orgasm increases each time. So it doesn't, it doesn't fade in the same way that the male orgasm does. And so I see this erotic eschatology as this potential to keep bringing life through and to keep, and the energy to keep arising and the spring where the energy, the source of the energy doesn't diminish. Whereas the eschatology, which I find is very limiting and damaging in like, that is still, despite our sort of mostly secular culture, at least England is pretty secular. Um, it's still inherited this sort of Christian eschatology, which says that there will be an end times and God will judge you and you will go to heaven or you will go to hell and you have to live this way. And it's very, it's very destructive. It's very destructive. It, it, it makes us suppress so much about ourselves. It doesn't make us explore all of our potential. It's, um, yeah, I was raised Catholic. So it's my way of um, approaching what I was given as a child against my will, but it's still part of my heritage. And it's the heritage of my, my family and my ancestors, many of them. So it's a way for me to absorb that into my body and and challenge it and change it so Babylon for me is a figure that transforms this negativity with her joyful jouissance her exuberance her 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 pure erotic pleasure and outflowing of this these these waves of pleasure that I think is at the heart of nature because nothing in nature is is so mean as this sort of economic system we have now everything is so like miserable or you cannot have fun because you should be working and if you're having fun then you're you're obviously not going to be as productive in the office this sort of idea where in fact the more one dances the more energy one has 
and it it isn't finite and it is continually renewed and we have to recognize that nature isn't something that is always making uh, as the neo-darwinists claim always making these like rational decisions about how to economically use its energy nature is all the time doing too much and going too far and continually creating more and more extravagant things you know see see the tail of the peacock or <laughs> i mean anything butterflies there's so much variety and so much beauty and so much more than there needs to be if it was simply like the kind of base economic system that ran nature as runs our culture now so babylon for me is that is that is nature in that sense in this continually outpouring creativity and joy and pleasure as well as you know devouring because nature devours itself too it's uh, it's merciless there is a a cruelty that is like the cruelty our toe talks about and a mercilessness and but it's not without compassion and it's not without love so i find in this an entire an entirely different way to approach life and to interact with with people with everything else and it's not based on the kind of false ideas that we're sort of forced to live under by our economic system or political system that we had thank you so much for listening If you enjoyed the conversation, please leave us a five-star review, subscribe to the show, and consider sharing the episode. I would love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to tag me on Instagram or send me a DM. I would love to meet you and hear what you thought about the conversation. And we'll see you next week.